You are listening to the audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, The Mitch Maloney Story, by Mitch Maloney, read by the author. For Kara, who made this story possible. Even more than myself, actually, because she believed in me when nobody else did, including myself. And despite all evidence to the contrary, she said I was gonna make it. Years before I'd even figured out what it was. Plus, she did most of the heavy lifting when it came to paying the bills for a long time, so that helped. Forward by Louis C.K. And note one. <clears throat> Mitch f***ing Maloney. What can I say? What can anybody say about the definitive comedian of the modern era? The stand-up to which all others must measure themselves. You probably already know a lot about the man they call Mr. Mirth. After all, the beats of his life have played out in front of all of us. We saw his rise at a time when it seemed like the era of straight white guy comics was over. It started with the infamous moth recording that was passed around the comedy nerd dark web and went all the way up to the most high-profile performance in the history of stand-up at the f***ing Acropolis, for f***'s sake. And then we watched collectively his decline into self-parody, scandal, and a multitude of crippling addictions before eventually spinning completely out of control and winding up in rehab where he experienced a spiritual reckoning, got clean, and wrote this book. I really hope he can stay sober because that hole can really do some damage when he's f***ed up. Look, everybody's got their favorite Maloney bit. For a lot of people, it's the dirty, cheesy, pleasers haikus. For many others, it's his right-wing alter-ego, the Lithuanian Chupacabra. But for me, it's the later material. Specifically, The Night the Chuckling Ceased. Considered unlistenable by many critics, it's basically been erased from the public record by the uptight media companies who are so afraid of offending anyone. But the rage and the rawness of that record takes my breath away. I mean, obviously it's obscene, and obviously it contains hate speech, and obviously he's inciting a f***ing riot. That's what makes it so great. That commitment to total honesty. Mitch and I have had our ups and downs, as you may have heard. But underneath all of the tabloid gossip and rancorous lawsuits between us over the years, believe it or not, there was always a mutual love and respect between us. Or at least from me to Mitch. And since he asked his people to ask me to write the foreword to his book, I'd like to think it's at least sort of mutual. Besides, the guy pulled me out of the f***ing ditch I'd fallen into and gave me a chance when everyone else had given up on me. And, on top of all that, he introduced me to the love of my f***ing life. So, why hold a grudge? 
Comedy historians have spent years trying to nail down Mitch Maloney's philosophy. But it's really as simple as his catchphrase. Everybody's a f***ing nutcase. Mitch gave me the expanded version one night backstage at Caesars. I was complaining about people throwing ice cubes at me, which used to happen a lot, actually. Louis, he said, the thing is, everybody's nuts. You, me, everybody. This business is insane, and nobody would be in it if they weren't completely nuts. The very concept of reality is as absurd as it gets, and anybody that chooses to participate is just plain f***ing bonkers. Remember when Charlie Rose called me the philosopher king of comedy? What a joke. What a f***ing joke. When I opened for him in Vegas, he blew me off the f***ing stage. He made me look like a pathetic, stupid, feeble, unfunny f***ing child. Now that I think about it, f*** you, Maloney. F*** you right in the Namaste. Louis C.K. Introduction. My first joke. I told my first joke before I could talk. According to my parents' recollection, I would yuck it up from my high chair at the kitchen table, spouting some infantile gobbledygook to the familiar tempo of a nightclub comedian. After the eventual ba-dum-bum rhythm indicating a punchline had been delivered, I would look from my mother's face to my father's and back again, eyes wide, waiting for the big laugh that never came. Before I had even turned one year old, my comedy was just too raw for some people. My first written joke came a few years later and was based on the then-popular tagline for a processed breakfast food. The slogan was, Move over, bacon. Now there's something meatier. I caught on to a connection between the line and something I had learned recently about outer space. I knew I was onto something, so I sat down to write my first official joke. And after a few minutes, I had it. What did the giant asteroid say to the planet as it crashed through the atmosphere? Move over, Earth. Now there's something meteor. I wrote that joke in 1982 when I was seven years old. At that time, there were less than a thousand stand-up comics in the world. By the time I decided to become a famous comedian, or FC, I was far from alone. By the end of 2022, there were approximately 12 million professional or aspiring comedians internationally not counting the millions of non-comedians who produced or consumed the nearly 90% of media content, scripted or improvised, that revolved around the lives of stand-up comics. End note two. Simultaneously, 
popular culture was becoming engrossed by the notion of parallel timelines and universes, and as this cultural compulsion grew, it inevitably intersected with the stand-up comedy craze. An interdimensional incendiary device had thus been constructed, and an infamous and flagrant act of anti-FC violence at a movie awards show unexpectedly triggered a force-multiplying effect that shred the very fabric of reality into over nine billion alternative time planes where every single human being on Earth would become an FC. This book is many things. It is a series of ribald recollections and a litany of shocking confessions. It is the tale of a man who rose from utter insignificance in his mid to late forties to unprecedented success as an FC until inexorably he fell once again into deprivation and ignominy. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Mitch. Can we try that line again? What line now? He fell once again into deprivation and ignominy. Ignominy? I believe the word is ignominy. I don't say ignominy. You say ignominy. I say ignominy. Okay, um, maybe there's a misprint in the transcript. Uh, there's no misprint. What's your name again? Darbirius Trimopolatrius. Good Lord. I'm going to call you Darbirius. Listen, Darbirius. I know what I'm doing here, okay? I mean ignominy. Igno ninny, like I was an ignorant ninny, got it? Copy that, Mitch. Good. Try not to interrupt me again, okay, Darberius? You're interrupting my flow here. Copy that, Mitch. Now, where was I? This book is many things, rakataka, rakataka. But most importantly, this book is a warning of what lies ahead if humanity continues to mythologize and fetishize the stand up comedian. It will inevitably overwhelm every aspect of your society and bring ruin to every corner of the universal time wave. And note three. If you can hear my words, then heed them and change your course. It is incumbent that all of humanity unite to reverse the cultural currents trickling ever closer toward the event horizon of the interdimensional vacuum of the Chortle Portal. And note one. This foreword by Louis C.K. was not written for this book, Unstoppable Farce. It was originally intended for inclusion in Nothing Left to Lose, my first autobiography, written in 2028, but was dropped by the publisher for unspecified reasons and was replaced by a less-than-enthusiastic but quirky and charming essay by Sarah Silverman. And note two. These statistics and others that appear throughout Unstoppable Farce were culled from archived meta-editions of Dunsopedia. And note three. The principles of the universal time wave, Haslin's curve, the formation of the chortle portal, and how these recordings are being transmitted through time-space, etc., will be discussed in the final chapter of this book. Though, to be honest, I'm not sure if I truly understand them myself. At some point... You've got to trust the scientists. And that point is apparently when you're on the precipice of intergalactic obliteration. So 
I'll just have to cross my synthetic graphene fingers and hope Professor Haslin knows what he's talking about. This audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, the Mitch Maloney story, was made possible by the Seventh Reformed Church of Latter-day Witnesses, the Bleepers.